Open your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 27, Acts 27 and Romans 15, Acts 27 and Romans 15. We're going to stand in a minute and read Acts chapter 27 together. I had a great trip to Washington, D.C. this week with Capital Connection and the, the timing of it with this text and what we've been talking about, what I'm calling our launch sermons. Uh, this, is, this is perfect. So this week will be in Acts 27, Lord willing. Next week will be in Acts chapter 28 and uh, just, just moving ahead for the Lord. You know, we live in, in perilous times. There's no doubt about that. And it does feel like God has given us a respite on the, the downward spiral of our governmental system. It didn't matter whether it was Socialist Party D or Socialist Party R. It just seemed like our rights are being uh, withered away and government intrusion is coming in every area. And with the election of President Trump, things have changed for a small period of time. And it's very interesting. I think that all of you will remember that I was not a supporter of President Trump before the election because I didn't think he had any kind of coherent political philosophy. But he has, he has governed more as a conservative than any president in my lifetime, including Ronald Reagan. He has accomplished more in his time than any other president that I can think of. Now, President Trump is not the person that we would want to be a Sunday school teacher at Grace Baptist Church. But it is interesting, you know, if you remember from the book of Daniel how, or the book of Isaiah, how God raised up Cyrus and he used this pagan king to accomplish his purposes. I don't have any idea why God is showing us his grace right now. I don't know. Maybe it's because he knew that the president would move the embassy to Jerusalem and recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel and Things like that. I, I don't know why. But we live in a very unique time. And we need to pray for our president because you know that he's under attack from Republicans and Democrats. Because the Republicans and Democrats, they have that same globalist um, agenda to destroy borders, to reduce our national sovereignty. Um, maybe... Um, here soon, I, I want to play for you a recording of Walter Cronkite. How many of you remember Walter Cronkite? And I think you're going to be surprised at some stuff that he says. This is a long-time agenda. And it seems like for just a brief period of time, we have an opportunity to set some things right in our nation. What's happening here in Acts chapter 27 is the Apostle Paul is on his way to Rome. He has appealed to Caesar, and God had told him, look, if you go to Rome, you're going to die. And he said, it's worth it. I want to preach the gospel in Rome. So we have looked at several of his trials and the way that he has represented himself and defended himself before kings, before governors, before prelates, before leaders in the world. And we've learned some things about how we should stand and some other things that we have been looking at. But look with me, stand with me, and let's read Acts chapter 27. I want us to get this whole account. If you don't have a Bible with you, there is one under the chair in front of you. If you remember, we have looked at the way 
that we are to um, address these leaders and how we are to defend ourselves. And one of the things that we noticed uh, a few weeks ago was Paul's worldview and how his worldview is based in hope. And that if we will have a hopeful attitude as we are uh, addressing the world, if we'll focus on Jesus and our mission, then we won't be caustic, we won't be angry, we'll be hopeful. So now let's look at Acts chapter 27, verse 1. And when it was determined that we should sail into Italy, they delivered Paul and certain other prisoners unto one named Julius, a centurion of Augustus' band. And entering into a ship of Adramidium, uh, Adramidium, we launched, meaning to sail by the coasts of Asia, one Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, being with us. And the next day we touched at Sidon, and Julius courteously entreated Paul and gave him liberty to go unto his friends to refresh himself. And when he had launched, and when we had launched from thence, we sailed under Cyprus, because the winds were contrary. And when we had sailed over the sea of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of Lycia. And there, to, uh, and there the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing into Italy, and he put us therein. And when we had sailed slowly many days, and scarce were come over against Sinaitis, the wind not suffering us, we sailed under Crete, over against Salome, and hardly passing it, came unto a place which is called the Fair Havens. Sounds like a nursing home, doesn't it? Nigh whereunto was a city of Lycia. Now, when much time was spent and when sailing was now dangerous because the fast was now already passed, Paul admonished them and said unto them, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage not only of the lading and ship, but also of our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul. You see here, he trusted the professional more than he trusted God's word. And because the haven was not commodious to winter in, the more part advised to depart thence also, if by any means they might attain to Phoenicia and there to winter, which is an haven of Crete and lieth toward the southwest and northwest. And when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, loosing thence, they sailed close by Crete. But not long after, there arose against it a tempestuous wind called Eurachlodon. And when the ship was caught and could not bear up into the wind, we let her drive. And running under a certain island, which is called Clauda, we had much work to come by the boat, which, when they had taken up, they used helps undergirding the ship and fearing lest they should fall into the quicksands, strake sail, and so were driven. And we, being exceedingly tossed with a tempest, the next day they lightened the ship, and the third day... We cast out with our own hands the tackling of the ship. And when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. But after long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, ye should have hearkened unto me and not have loosed from Crete and to have gained this harm and loss. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, 
Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar, and lo, God hath given thee all them that sail before thee. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. Howbeit, we must be cast upon a certain island. And when the fourteenth night was come, and we were driven up and down in Adria, about midnight the shipmen deemed that they drew near to some country, and sounded and found it twenty fathoms. And when they had gone a little further, they sounded again and found it fifteen fathoms. Then, fearing lest we should have fallen upon rocks, they cast four anchors out of the stern and wished for the day. And as the shipmen were about to flee out of the ship, when they had let down the boat into the sea under color as though they would have cast anchors out of the foreship, Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, Except these abide in the ship, ye cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut off the ropes of the boat and let her fall off. And while the day was coming on, Paul besought them all to take meat, saying, This day is the fourteenth day that ye have tarried and continued fasting, and having taken nothing. Therefore, I pray you to take some meat, for this is for your health. For there shall not an hair fall from the head of any of you. And when he had thus spoken, he took bread and gave thanks to God in presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. Then were they all of good cheer, and they also took some meat. And we were in all in the ship two hundred three score and sixteen souls. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and had cast out the wheat into the sea. And when it was day, they knew not the land, but they discovered a certain creek with a shore into the which they were minded if it were possible to thrust in the ship. And when they had taken up the anchors, they committed themselves unto the sea and loosed the rudder bands and hoisted up the mainsail to the wind and made toward shore. And falling into a place where the two seas met, they ran the ship aground, and the forepart stuck fast and remained unmovable, but the hinder part was broken with the violence of the waves. And the soldier's counsel was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim out and escape. But the centurion, willing to save Paul, kept them from their purpose and commanded that they which could swim, should cast themselves first into the sea and get to land, and the rest, some on boards and some on broken pieces of the ship. And so it came to pass that they escaped all safe to land. Lord, help us as we study this passage this morning. Lord, give us some truth from it today and help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. I have the opportunity sometimes to teach other preachers or young men on preaching and teaching, and I use this passage as one of my examples for bad preaching. How many of you have ever heard some bad preaching? I won't ask you if you've heard it here. I'm not going to, because I wouldn't want to, you know, be offensive to some of the other men that preach when I'm not here. But, um, man, sometimes people ask me if I agree with somebody or something. I say, man, I don't even agree with messages I've preached in the past. You know, uh, we're, we're going to burn anything that I preached from about uh, 20 years ago because who knows the heresy that's in it. But let me give you some examples of bad preaching from this text. Look with me at verse 29. Then fearing lest we should have fallen upon rocks, they cast four anchors out of the stern and wished for the day. Don't say amen to this, okay? This is bad preaching. Folks, we need to cast out some anchors. We need the anchor of prayer. We need the anchor of soul winning. We need the anchor of separation. We need the anchor of a holy life. And they just make it up. They just something they want to talk about, 
You know, we need the anchor of tithing. We've got to finish this building. We need the anchor of you giving extra money. You just make it up because there's something that you want to say. It's terrible, terrible preaching, okay? Then there was another one that is fun. Look with me in verse 31. Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, except these abide in the ship, you cannot be saved. I heard a preacher preach, stay in the ship. If you're going to make it, you need to stay in the ship. And it was all about, you got to stay in church. You got to stay doing what you're supposed to do. You can't make it to shore unless you stay in the ship. That's terrible, man. That's a motivational speech. Now, should people stay in church? Amen. Has God provided the local church as a way to help us make it safely to shore? Absolutely. But that kind of preaching, it's just so lame. I can hardly stand it. I can't take it. Let's look at this text and let's see if we can find some things that will help us at Grace Baptist. Remember, these are our launch sermons. This is before we do our grand opening. This is stuff to help us know who we are and what we are supposed to do. Now, there are a couple of things in this text that I think will help us. The first one is, I I like this statement. I I don't know who said it, but a Christian is indestructible as long as they're in God's plan for their life. The Christian is indestructible if you're doing what God wants you to do. It's interesting. You had 200, how many is it? I, I didn't do the math. 203 score and 16. 276 souls, okay? 276 people on that boat. Do you know why they lived? Because Paul was there. Because Paul was there. God had a plan for Paul. And what the text says at the end of chapter 27, they were all saved. Look at verse 43. But the centurion willing to save Paul kept the others alive. God had a plan for the apostle Paul. So God saved all of the people because of him. It's fascinating how if you are doing what you are supposed to do, if you are being obedient to the call of God on your life, what does that do? It protects you and the people around you. Imagine this. Imagine if you actually saved people's lives because you were there doing what God wants you to do. You won't know about it until you get to heaven. You won't know about it until eternity. But I'm just telling you, God worked that way in Acts chapter 27, and he works that way today still. God has a plan for you, and as long as you are in that plan, you are indestructible. There's a second just overview thought that I want you to see. Look at what it says in verse 10. And he said unto them, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage, not only of the lading and ship, but also of our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and owner of the ship, more than those things which were spoken by Paul. We live in a time where authorities, whether they're scientific authorities or cultural authorities or social authorities, overrule the preaching of God's word over and over and over again. And there's that pressure that's put on us. How many of you recognize it's not a popular thing for a preacher to stand up and praise Donald Trump? I mean, that's that's not a popular thing to do. Do we agree with everything he does? Absolutely not. Are we thankful that we've gotten some people to preserve our rights on the Supreme Court? These are things that are very important for us to understand and recognize. If we succumb to the culture, we will not do what God wants us to do. And I can tell you this, there will be many times, many times where we stand up 
whether it's myself, any of our disciples, any of our teachers, we stand up and we say, okay, God says this, and the professionals say something else. I'll give you a perfect example. How many of you know that the professionals believe it's wrong to spank your child? How many of you know that that's the truth? What does God say? Spare the rod, spoil the child. The Bible says the blueness of the wound purifies the soul. The Bible says that foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. And what is it that drives it away? The rod of correction. So who's right? God or the sociologists? Let me try that again. Who's right? God or the sociologists? God. God. And I'm just telling you, there are so many times where God says one thing, the world says another, and the Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar. They would have saved all of this trouble in Acts chapter 27 if they would have just believed the man of God. But they trusted the professionals more than the man of God. There's a logical fallacy. It's called a faulty appeal to authority. A faulty appeal to authority. We hear about that with global warming. Of course, they had to change it to climate change because it stopped getting warm. 96% of scientists agree. Have you heard something like that? It's just a lie. 96% of the people who took the survey agreed. They just lie to you. It's a faulty appeal to authority. They're lying to you. Let me tell you something. There is going to be an earth for God to destroy whether you use hairspray or not. Right? Whether we deal with cow flatulence or not. Whoever would have dreamed that that would be in our political conversation? These people are crazy. And these are the people that the world is trusting rather than the word of God. It's so important that we understand that the professionals, if they disagree with the Bible, they are just wrong. But let's look at a couple of things in here and actually dive into my message today. I want you to notice in verse 18, and we being exceedingly tossed with a tempest, the next day they lightened the ship. So they're throwing everything off the ship. And the third day, we cast out with our own hands the tackling of the ship. Now, if you don't have the third day marked, you need to mark that, the third day. And some of you know where I'm going right here. Some of you don't. If you've not heard this, get ready for some goosebumps, okay? Every time you see that phrase, the third day, in your Bible. Now, when you think of the third day as a Christian, what do you think of? The resurrection. You're right. Every time you see the third day in your Bible, there's a reference to death and resurrection. Every time. Do you remember when Esther went in, or Mordecai comes to Esther and says, Hey, God put you in the kingdom for such a time as this. And he said this. He said, Now, God's going to deliver his people, but you get to be a part of it. And it could be that you've come into the kingdom for such a time as this. But what she understood was that if she went into the king, it was the law of the Medes and the Persians. If she went into the king's court without being summoned, she would be killed immediately unless the king pointed his scepter at her. You have this huge room. The king might not even see her. 
But the king had to point that scepter at her. If the king didn't point the scepter at her, she was dead. So what did she say? Well, I'll go into him. And if I perish, I perish. You know what it says then? And the third day, she went in. He points the scepter at her. She died. Then she was made alive. Every time you see the third day in your Bible, there's a reference to death and resurrection. Let me just tell you something. In Acts chapter 27, these men were as good as dead. These men were as good as dead. But you know what happens after the third day? Look at what it says. And the third day, we cast out our own hands, the tackling of the ship. And when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. Do you see that? All hope that we should be saved was then taken away. My message is, is there any hope in the world? Is there any hope in the world? Years ago, I mean, we're talking 25 years ago, I was driving through Chicago. I worked on Michigan Avenue, and I was driving either to or from work. And as I was driving, this car drove past me, and I noticed that it was a really nice car at that time, brand new. And I looked at the license plate. The license plate said, no hope. No hope. Do you realize how many people in the world feel like there is no hope? The suicide rate among young people is higher than it's ever been. Higher than it's ever been. Now, let me just tell you something. Part of that is social media. Because of the bullying, because of the people that appear to be popular, because of their social profile, be careful with your children and their social media. Really monitor it. Really know what's going on with your kids and that stuff. There are a lot of people that feel like there is no hope for them at all. That's the world that we live in. Do you realize how many people have told us that, that the world's going to end in 12 years? Now, they keep saying it, and it's just another 12. You know, Al Gore told us that. What year did Al Gore tell us that? Like 1994 or something like that? Now, I understand that Democrats are bad at math, but it's, it's been a little longer than 12 years, right? But that's the world that we live in. Everyone believes that the world's going to end because of the climate, there's no hope. These people don't have any hope. And when it comes to, to eternity and to any kind of an absolute understanding of what God has said, they don't have any hope. That's the world that we live in. This week, myself and I don't even know how many preachers were there, hundreds and hundreds of preachers, we all gathered together in Washington, D.C. And the point of that is to let them know that we are out there. The other thing is, what, the thing that's different about Capital Connection is we're not going in there lobbying for anything. This happens over and over again. Someone will go in and meet with their congressman or their, their senator, their leader, or their staff, and they'll say, well, what, what requests do you have? What would you like for us to do? Is there anything that you would like for us to do? And here's what we tell them. We want to pray for you. What, is there anything specifically that we can pray with you about and the first, now they know as we're coming in, and it's amazing how much easier it is to get an appointment with these people now. It's amazing how that happens. One of our, uh, this is, you're going to laugh at this. One of our guys met with Elizabeth Warren. And it's kind of a reception type meeting with the senators. It's harder to get a one-on-one -on -one meeting. But you do have a few minutes to talk to them. And she said, what, um, what, what are you here for? We're just here to pray for you. And she said, well, I'm not big on prayer. 
I'm not, I'm not big on prayer. And he said, uh, well, we, we would like to, and, and she kind of did this. And so as they were walking away, she grabbed him by the arm, pulled him back. Go ahead, pray for me. And he got to pray with her and give her the gospel. Now, he used smoke signals so she would understand. No, I'm just, just kidding. But, but he, was, <laughs> he was able to pray with her. And folks, who knows what God can do with that? How many of you believe that we have a supernatural God? Who knows what God can do with that? So over and over again, and I got to sit with Congressman Jordan, and he ended up with, you know, he's, he's the head of all of these different committees. And so we had an appointment with him. The appointment was, was held up. So they put us in a conference room next to his office. And so we sat in this conference room for about 45 minutes waiting for him. And then he cleared his entire office out, brought chairs in for myself, uh, Pastor Jonathan Marshall from Toledo, his sons, and a couple of men from his church. I, I had the appointment. I brought them in with me. And he just gave us all the time that we wanted. Now, we were careful with it. We, we didn't take a lot of time, but we were able to pray with him. I asked him, I said, uh, so what's it like dealing with Adam Schiff? And he just went, he was sitting at his desk, and he just put his head down on the desk like this. He said, now, thank God, I don't have to deal with him that often. He said, there's no talking to them. The, the truth doesn't matter. There's no talking to them. And I told them, I told him how excited that you guys were that I was going to be with him. And what a blessing it was to be able to say, keep it up. Keep going. Let me just tell you, they need our encouragement. They need our help to do right. And it was so fun. His wife was in there with him. And we were able to meet her, talk with her. Uh, Pastor Marshall prayed for him. And let me just tell you something. Jonathan Marshall, he's, a, he's co-pastor of Hope Baptist Church in Toledo. And he's, he, he prayed for the congressman and his family. And he had such wisdom in his prayer. And when he got done, you could tell that it had really affected uh, Representative Jordan and, and his wife. And he just looked at him and said, he said good job. And he was, all, he was very friendly to us. But after that prayer, it was almost like even Congressman Jordan, who's on our side, it melted his heart some. Who knows what God can do with that? And it was such a blessing to be there. We had many Congress people come through and speak to us and at our meeting. But it's just important that we're there. I want you to show you from this text why we as believers need to do what we're supposed to do. Is there any hope in the world? Again, verse 20. And when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared and no small tempest lay on us, all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. Look at verse 21. But after long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them. Let me tell you something, folks. There's hope when a Christian will take a stand. There's hope when a Christian will take a stand. I think I've told you this. I was in um, Philadelphia years ago. And I went to see the Liberty Bell. And as I went in, it, it's really fun. I love all that historical stuff. But the emphasis of the whole exhibit was slavery. And it said it wasn't liberty for all. And the whole presentation was about slavery. And it was a real indictment on the United States. Now, how many of you know that the chattel slavery that we had in the United States was a blot on our history? 
It's a horrible thing. But is that the center of our history? No. I st- there were about 40 people, 30 or 40 people in there in the display watching this little thing. I couldn't take it anymore. I just stood up and I said, we freed them. We're the good guys. We freed them. You've got to understand that slavery was the position of the entire world for 6,000 years. Listen to what I'm saying. Slavery was the reality of the entire world for 6,000 years. didn't matter what race you were. It didn't matter what family you came from. You were either a slave or you wished you were. See, this is the problem with not teaching history. There was a system that was called feudalism. And in feudalism, you either had the protection of the feudal lord and were under him, or you were on your own, and people could rob from you, steal from you, you could starve to death, you didn't have the right to hunt, you didn't have the right to farm, you didn't have the right to do anything. That was the world system. That's why the Apostle Paul calls himself a bondservant, that he, he chose to be a slave to his father. That was the world. You wanted to be a slave. Now, that's not the kind of slavery that we had in the United States. The kind of slavery that we had in the United States were people, you had a conquering group of people in Africa. Those conquering people sold people to others. And it was a horrible and a miserable existence. That's why that's a blot on the history of our nation. That was never right. That was never justified in the scriptures. That was never right in our history. Amen? But let me tell you something. There were a group of Christians who said, this is unbiblical, it's wrong, and we're going to do something about it. And then in our nation, 600,000 people died to see that it ended. And I I just couldn't take it anymore. I stood up and I, I just said, we freed them. We're the good guys. Everybody stood up and started clapping. I'm talking black people white people, Asian people, because here's the problem with our politics right now. They're trying to divide us by race. They're trying to divide us by gender. They're trying to divide us by religion. That that whole concept of e pluribus unum, from many, one. That doesn't mean we're all one race or that one race is better than another, but it does mean that there is an idea of liberty and unity that our nation is based on. And listen, we can never be the nation that we need to be if we're just pointing fingers all the time and blaming everybody else for the problems that go on in the world. At some point, we need to love each other and forgive each other and pick each other up and understand that the foundation of everything that we can do is forgiveness, and it's the forgiveness that comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. We have to be there. We have to land there. Folks, there's hope in, a, hope in a Christian that will take a stand. There are times when we need to stand up and say, that's not right. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to stand for that. That's filthy. That's wicked. We're not going to have it here. You know, we need Christians on the school board in Shelby County. We need Christians on the school board in Sydney. We need people who will stand up and say, no, we're not going to teach that here. We're not going to show that nudity in the classrooms. And here's what they'll say. Oh, they see it anyway. Well, they shouldn't. We need Christians who are willing to take a stand against the immorality and the infidelity of our time and say, that is not normal. 
That is not right. It's not helpful for a child if you tell them that they're a different gender than what they are. That's not helpful for that child. We need people to stand up and say, not here, not now, not in our community. There's hope in a Christian that will take a stand. What did Paul say? They're they're in the shipwreck. Everything's about to end. And the apostle Paul, he waited. He waited as long as he could. Let's go back to the text and look at what he did. Verse 21, but after long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them. And look at the correction. Sirs, ye should have hearkened unto me. I love it. He starts with, I told you so. I told you this was going to happen. You know, before anyone can be helped, they have to understand that they're on a wrong path. Who's going to tell them? Who's going to tell them? It's got to be us. There's only hope for our city. There's only hope for the people that we influence. If we can stand up and say, that's wrong, this is right. I've been telling you all along, this is what God says. This is what we're supposed to do. If we do what God says, God will bless us. If we go against what God says, he's built laws into the universe that will bring us consequences. It's there. Folks, there's hope in a Christian that will take a stand. Look at what he said, middle of verse 21. Sirs, you should have hearkened unto me and not have loosed from Crete and to have gained this harm and loss. And now I exhort you, be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. Remember when I talked about our worldview, our hopeful message? See, the message isn't to walk up to people, you're going to hell. That's not our message. Our message is Jesus Christ has come to save you from hell. There's hope for you. There's hope. I know the world's falling apart. But there's hope in Jesus Christ. Be of good cheer. We live in a time where the world is so messed up. Now, I will say this. God has given us really stupid enemies. Right? When you watch that Ocasio-Cortez, when you watch this Ilhan Omar, when you watch the things that these people are saying... And even, their, even the, the, the media that want to be on their side, they'll hear them say something, and you'll watch the media, they'll, they'll make a statement. And the interviewers, I don't know what you just said. I don't have any idea. So just that. It is fun sometimes to laugh at your opponents. Isn't it? But even in that, Do you know what Cortez needs? She needs to be saved. She needs to understand the truth. She needs to know who Jesus Christ is. Do you know what Ilhan Omar needs? She needs to be saved. She needs to understand that Islam, when when they talk about Islam being a religion of peace, what that means is the peace of conquest under Islam. That's what it, it means, submission. She needs to understand that she needs to submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that God will make her free from the penalty of sin and death. That's what they need. Our message needs to not be the world is bad. Our message needs to be, be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. Jesus Christ has overcome the world. He's overcome it. Now, you have darkness all around you. The Bible says evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. That's the world that we live in. 
But in that world, how many of you think that Paul was having a good time? He's in a shipwreck. No, it was horrible. But he could stand up and say, be of good cheer. You know what? It looks around us like we're in the middle of a shipwreck. We need some Christians who will stand up and say, be of good cheer. I've got the answer. I've got the answer. It's in the Word of God. There's hope in a Christian that will take a stand. Look back at Acts 27. Not only is there hope in a Christian that will take a stand, there's hope in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 23. For there stood by me this night the angel of God. Now, you know the angel of God and the angel of the Lord, depending on the context, most of the time is Jesus Christ. Okay, most of the time it's Jesus Christ. We know that that's who's being spoken of because look at what he says. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve. Folks, when the world, it looks like it's going to hell all around us, there's hope in a Christian that will take a stand because there's hope in the presence of Jesus Christ. You know that Jesus Christ said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. We looked at the Great Commission in our Sunday school class this morning. He said, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. So in the middle of all of this mess, there is hope because Jesus Christ is with us. We talk about that when we look at the, the subject of prayer, the topic of prayer. We need to practice the presence of Jesus Christ. How many of you believe that Jesus is here with us today? Would you raise your hand? You believe that Jesus is here with us. Do you know that he's also with you when you're taking that stand for truth? He's with you when you're taking that stand against error. And we have to remember when we're taking our stand, that worldview that we talked about last week, our worldview is a worldview of hope. See, they thought there was no hope in the world. Paul said, be of good cheer. Why? Because Jesus is here. Jesus is here. I want you to think about something. When John the Baptist was preaching, he was telling people the Messiah is coming. The Messiah is coming. Do you know what Paul was preaching? He's here. He's here. Now, we can preach he's here, but like Paul, we're also preaching that he's coming back. He's coming back. We need them to believe before he returns. We need that to happen. There's hope in a Christian that will take a stand, but there's also hope in the presence of Jesus Christ. So here's my question for you. Really important. And I'm just about done. Really important question for you. Does the presence of Jesus Christ in your life give you hope? Do you have a positive outlook on your future? Now, it's interesting. The Bible is a very negative book. The way it describes mankind and all of that, it's very negative. But the hope that we have in Jesus is completely positive. So the, the presence of Jesus in your life is it making you a hopeful person? So here's my, again, really important question. I'm asking you that question, but if I ask the people who know you that question, are you a hopeful person? Are you a person that people want to be around? Or are you a person that people want to stay away from because of your caustic spirit? You see, Jesus is lovely. Jesus is loving. Jesus is forgiving. That's what Jesus gives us. He's the God of all hope. He's the God of all hope. Are you hopeful? And are the people around you, would they see you as hopeful? Isn't that a good question? How many of you would say, that's something I need to think about? There's hope in a Christian that will take a stand. There's hope in the presence of Jesus Christ. Then look at what the Bible says. Look at what God said to, G, to, to Paul, verse 24. 
saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar. And lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Do you remember what I said about if you're doing what God wants you to do? If God has a plan for your life, it'll protect the people around you. That's exactly what's happening in that text. How many of you believe that's what's happening in that text? So just think of what God could do in the culture because of you. Now look at what it says in verse 25. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God. There's hope in a Christian that will take a stand. There's hope in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's hope in the changeless word of God. Why do I know that there's hope? Because I believe God. This is also how you know that angel of God is Jesus Christ, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be at Caesar, verse 25. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. So here's my question. Do you believe that your life will be as God told you it would be? Are you hopeful about your future? Are you hopeful about the future of your children as you ground them in the word of God? Are you hopeful about the future? Are you hopeful about the future of Grace Baptist Church because of what God's going to use you to do here? Man, I just think the greatest days of Grace Baptist Church are ahead of us. I think that there is hope if a Christian will take a stand. There's hope in the presence of Jesus Christ. And there's hope in the changeless word of God. Now remember, Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. But what people don't understand is that's Matthew chapter 18. That's church discipline. That's church. Jesus said that. I'm with you when you practice church discipline. That's what Jesus was saying. So we're, our hope is not in an anything goes, let's allow anything to happen world. That's not who we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be. We're supposed to be the people that stand up and say, uh, you need to not loose that ship. And when they loose the ship, I told you you shouldn't have loosed that ship. Now listen to me. There is hope here. I know that you've made a shipwreck of your life because you didn't listen to the truth, but your life is not over. God still has an exciting future for you. There's hope in a Christian that'll take a stand. There's hope in the presence and the person of Jesus Christ. There's hope in the changeless word of God. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Well, then let's live it. Let's take that stand. Let's practice the presence of Jesus Christ. And let's believe God's word. Now, remember, it's hard to believe something that you don't know. You've got to know what God says. You've got to hear God's word. You've got to be under the preaching and teaching of God's word. You've got to be studying it yourself. You need to be memorizing it. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. You've got to have it in your heart. Amen? Man, there is hope in the world. Our worldview needs to be a worldview of hope. We've got to believe that God has us here for a reason. I hope you believe that. I don't want this just to be a rah, rah, rah. You can do it. You can. <laughs> That's not what this is. But there really is hope in a Christian that'll stand. There's hope in the presence of Jesus Christ. You know that old song, Take the Name of Jesus With You? You know that song, Take the Name of Jesus With You? This week, I hope you'll take the name of Jesus with you. And that'll be a hopeful thing. That it won't be a, 
man, I hate everything. I hate everybody around me. And, and expect people to want to come and be a part of that. There's enough of that hate in the world, isn't there? We need to have hope. Maybe I'll make a bumper sticker. Hope, not hate. Come to Grace Baptist Church. Let's all stand. Lord, I'm so glad that you are the God of hope. Lord, I pray that it changes us. Lord, help us understand how important we are to that work. Lord, I can never be Paul, but I can stand. I can never be Paul, but I can practice your presence. I can never be Paul, but I can believe your word. Lord, help us to be that. Everybody, look at your Bibles. I I, I told you Romans 15. I forgot to go there. Let's look at it. Romans 15, look at verse 13. You can stay standing, but look at Romans 15, 13. Now the God of hope, Romans 15, 13. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Are you abounding in hope? Are you abounding in joy? Is that you? Man, when I look out, honestly, I look out here and I look at your faces. You don't look real joyful and happy and hopeful. Let's be joyful. Let's smile. Let's be happy. Let's share that love of Jesus Christ. And that love of Jesus Christ was the love that died on the cross because of sin. You can't have love without an acknowledgement of sin. Amen? You can't understand it. He didn't die. He didn't die to excuse sin. He died to forgive sin because it can't be excused. That's why he had to die. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost.